What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, as you all know, we should have been talking about Jurassic World Dominion. That's the huge movie at the box office. I did not see it this week. I still might, but I didn't go this week because... I went instead to a concert, and you know from already reading the episode uh, title what that concert was. It was for Bob Dylan, and I'm a huge, huge fan, and so I guess in some ways this episode is for me, okay? 180th edition of the newsletter, so 179 for you guys. I'll take one for myself, <laughs> but honestly, I, I want to lay out a case because everyone thinks I'm crazy. I want to lay out a case why you all should appreciate Bob Dylan the way I do. Uh, So I will do that, and I promise you there will be some movie tie-ins as well. In addition, this week, Something New, Something Old, and Something to Stream are all three really, really strong recs. Highly, highly recommend you check out those movies. So uh, if you're just here for the movie recommendations, you can can get that as well. But uh, I want to mention right off the top, you can get in touch with me on Twitter, at Mr. Matt Craig, or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. Let me know what you think of those movies. Let me know in the future what movies I should be watching or talking about. Or, conversely, let me know your thoughts on Bob Dylan. So without further ado, let's dive into it. On Wednesday night, instead of going to see Jurassic World Dominion, I found myself at a concert for an 80-year-old Bob Dylan. And I decided I needed to tell you about it in lieu of my usual dribble about how CGI-heavy blockbusters geared toward 12-year-olds are somehow an affront to the art form of your Martin Scorsese's and what have you. Now, I won't lie to you. Dylan sounded like the after-segment of an anti-smoking commercial and looked like Darth Vader when he takes off his mask. When he wasn't hunched behind a piano, he was clinging to the mic stand like a crutch, and the only time he talked to the audience between songs was to scold someone in the front rows for breaking the show's strict no-cell-phone policy. Not only did he not play any of the songs that made him an icon beginning in the 1960s and 70s, but he didn't even play his most popular song, Murder Most Foul, from the 2020 album that nominally was the reason for the show, though famously Dylan has been on the, quote, never-ending tour since the late 80s. All of which is to say, the audience absolutely loved it. Standing ovations after every song, sporadic chants of, We love you, Bob! And calls for an encore, ignored, of course. His particular brand of fandom has been the subject of fascination for me since early in the pandemic. When everyone else took up sourdough baking, playing massive amounts of video games, or when all else failed, drinking heavily, I got really into Bob Dylan. It's a rabbit hole I fell down initially by asking the same question you all are asking right now. What the heck is it that people like about this guy? And for those fans, how do they come to see it as less an artistic preference than some sort of enlightenment? Each moment of his career, going electric, Judas, the motorcycle crash, etc., are analyzed in painstaking detail, every second savored. The guy in front of me at the concert proudly announced he had seen Dylan perform live every year since 1990, except for the one 
That was the same day as his daughter's wedding. And even then, it was a morning wedding, and he would have done it if it if he hadn't felt so guilt, guilty. The ranks of these so-called Dylanologists include some of the most influential creative people of the 21st century, including Steve Jobs, the Coen brothers, and the aforementioned Mr. Scorsese. They profess not to just like his songs, but that their own work was somehow inspired by him, like he's some sort of mystic. The simplest explanation begins with Dylan's work in the 1960s, when his social justice-themed folk songs contrasted with the doo-wop of the 1950s and even the love-love-me-do lyrics of the popular 1960s bands like the Beatles. Even his raspy voice and stripped-down presentation fed into this idea of Dylan as the embodiment of authenticity at a time when that quality felt fresh, exciting, and even a little dangerous. He became the voice of his generation for the coming-of-age boomers who felt as if they were the first ones ever to confront the ills of the world head-on. Every generation comes with lofty ideas and goals to change the world. It just so happens that the American boomers a group that includes Jobs, Scorsese, and the Coens, actually did it. Then Dylan became a master of reinvention. He went electric in 1965, betraying his social justice bent to become a rock and roll star, and later tried country music, jazz, and even a super religious phase. Take that, Kanye. He's put out 39 studio albums and is even credited for producing and releasing the first modern music video. On a base level, this appeal makes some kind of sense. He's the cool kid's cool kid. Appreciate People appreciate his dedication to artistic impulse for 60 years now, continuing to put out new work to this day rather than attempting to relive the glory years in nostalgia tours like Paul McCartney's doing or try to shake your hips like you did when you were 25, like Mick Jagger. I doubt McCartney, though, is too upset with his decision considering his tour this year is selling out football stadiums around the world at like a thousand bucks per ticket. But if Dylan was simply a genius songwriter, even one whose songs were poetry capable of winning the Pulitzer Prize in literature in 2008, he would not have commanded the type of reverent fandom that has followed him all this time. I contend that Dylan's mystery is actually the source of his appeal. Much like with filmmaker Stanley Kubrick, as I wrote once at length, an ambiguous work of art can often be interpreted as profound. And because it cannot easily be understood and exhausted, it tends to stick around even longer. Fans will follow a thread as long as it's willing to go, and Dylan, like Kubrick, has given his fans an almost endless amount of material. He lies about his own life constantly, remaking his legend so many times it's impossible to pin down, despite dozens of books, documentaries, podcasts, and a forthcoming movie starring Timothy Chalamet dedicated to him. He releases hundreds of basement tapes, outtakes, and recorded live performances for obsessives to pour over. He changes his set list for concerts every night, and even the same songs he changes each time he performs in cadence and inflection and even melody, that might seem unnecessarily ornery and makes the man feel inaccessible on any kind of vulnerable level, but it also has the incredible effect of making us Dylan fans feel like there's still new things to discover about him. Which 80-year-old public figure can say the same? 
signing up for this kind of fandom is really only for a certain type of person. So to claim that you're a Bob Dylan fan is a shorthand for a certain kind of identity. You're marking yourself as a searcher and a striver, intellectually curious, countercultural, unburdened by the weight of others' expectations, and in fact, actively trying to subvert them. You'll notice I've spoken very little about his music at all, because the myth and the legend seep into every chord and turn of phrase, until you too are not just appreciating his work, but finding yourself inspired by it. Soon his lyrics are permanently etched in your brain, and you too might find yourself shelling out money to see him croak his way through a concert live while you still can. Every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week something new is streaming on Hulu, finally. It's the worst person in the world. I called this movie a masterpiece when I saw it in theaters back in February, and I've been dying to rewatch it ever since. I got very, very close to buying it video on demand a couple of different times. As of this week, it's finally on Hulu. I know my subscribers well enough to know there will be some initial sticker shock to this movie being Norwegian, both in setting and in language. Subtitles, oh no. But check out my full spoiler-free review, either in the archives of this podcast or over at my newsletter, again, mattcraig.substack.com, and see if I can't convince you that you're missing out on one of the best movies of this year. This week's Something Old came out in 1999, is now streaming on Peacock, it's the talented Mr. Ripley. This week, we lost one of the most underrated character actors of all time, Philip Baker Hall, who is 90 years old, and who always popped up in small roles in your favorite movies and made you say, oh yeah, I love that guy. During one absolutely ludicrous stretch from 1995 to 1999, so this is only four years, Hall appeared in all of these iconic movies, Heart 8, The Rock, Air Force One, Boogie Nights, The Truman Show, Rush Hour, Enemy of the State, Cradle Will Rock, The Insider, Magnolia, The Contender, and my personal pick this week, The Talented Mr. Ripley. This is, in truth, one of the easiest movies to sell on paper of all time. A young Matt Damon stars opposite Gwyneth Paltrow and Jude Law. A strong case could be made that no human being has ever looked hotter on film than Jude Law in this movie, with Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and our guy, Philip Baker Hall, dotted across 1950s New York City and eventually Southern Italy. The settings are lavish and picturesque, betraying the true intentions of a deeply unsettling story that continues to twist and unwind until you're hanging on the edge of your seat. No spoilers, but it's quite a thrill ride. Okay, this week's Something to Stream is on HBO Max and it's Language Lessons. By now, you all know my love of the Duplass brothers, who bootstrapped their way from shoestring indie filmmakers into Hollywood super producers, using that clout to turn around and give other promising young and first-time directors a change or a chance, excuse me, to direct their own movies. In my opinion, nobody is more creative with fewer resources than them, 
So it's no surprise that when the pandemic hit, they were able to find an extremely cool version of the entirely over Zoom movie. In it, Mark Duplass stars as a guy who is gifted online language lessons by his husband. Admittedly, I'm an extremely easy target for this premise since I too have been doing online language lessons with someone across the globe. The tutor is played by a lovable that girl actress, Natalie Morales, who also directs and co-writes with Mark. Initially, it seems like the movie is going to be a straightforward, you've got male style romantic comedy, which I admit I was kind of rooting for since I sort of have a crush on my Italian tutor. Don't tell anyone. But it takes a drastic and unexpected turn that sends the movie careening off into a new direction. One that takes it through tough emotional terrain and comes out the other side with a sweet, sentimental story that transcended just the usual fun, forgettable streamer. Two thumbs way up on this one. Alright guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you head over to the newsletter, again, at mattcraig.substack.com, I think you're going to want to check this one out. Uh, This week's trailer watch is the teaser, the first teaser for Blonde, which is the apparently NC-17 rated Netflix movie where Ana de Armas is playing Marilyn Monroe in kind of a... uh, a biopic about Marilyn Monroe's life. <laughs> so if you want to check that trailer out, and I think you do, uh, head over to the newsletter and uh, and hit that one up. I think next week, I may get around to Jurassic World Dominion, but obviously the star of the show next week is going to be Lightyear, which is the new Pixar movie uh, that's kind of the backstory of Buzz Lightyear. I guess I'll only say kind of because Buzz Lightyear is a toy as far as I know is it <laughs> I don't know anyway Chris Evans and who could forget that trailer with uh, the the David Bowie song so that's gonna be a massive movie and definitely gonna have to see that um so yeah that's what we'll be hitting next week I thank you guys always for listening always for sharing the word we, our newsletter has been growing like crazy which has been super super awesome and until next Friday guys I guess I'll see you at the movies <laughs>